Hello everyone, welcome back to the Karak with Mehreen show. I'm so excited about today's guest. He is an entrepreneurial wizard, a social impact genius. He's created Ulite, which has impacted thousands of families across the world by providing them access to light. He's also created a gaming, a Web3 gaming startup and raised $2 million for that and more. Um, he is a storytelling master, which has taken him all the way to the United Nations. Let me please welcome Umar Ghanem. I don't know what to say after that. Um, <laughs> yeah, thanks thanks for the very warm introduction. <laughs> yes, a, lo- well, a lot of you know hyping up, so I hope the, the episode lives up to the expectations. Uh, that oh, way. yeah, I didn't realize that. It's, <laughs> it's like raising the bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, storytelling. I'm... Okay, okay. <laughs> we got this, we got this. But before we do everything, I want to try by giving this little gift that I have for <laughs> you and open it up. Yeah, it's for you. So like. It's cool. What is that? You can open and yeah. see. Oh, okay. Oh, I think it's upside down. Like. You think so? Yeah. No, because I, I see text here. Okay. Maybe uh, but, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's a tea, it's a beautiful tea box with all those like little tea flavors, and it's like karak oh, with mehreen tea. So it just this. makes so much. Oh really? Yeah. Do you? Good. But you like tea as well? I like karak. I'm more of a karak. Okay, yeah, yeah, makes yeah, sense. But like my mom loves like herbal teas and stuff, so it's gonna be nice. That's nice. You want me to read this out? <laughs> Dear Omar, every cup of karak has a story. Thank you for sharing yours with me. Hope you remember this flavorful conversation through these flavorful teas. Warm wishes and warmer karak, mehreen. <laughs> That's cute. Thank you. I like this. Off to, to a good a start. Nice, good yeah. So hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Let's start. Very on brand, by the way. Oh, usually I always start with like a little introduction, but I always like to ask the guest mm-hmm. to introduce themselves, but without including your career and okay. without including your profession. Just you as a person. Who are you? Sure. Um, so yeah, my name is Omar. I was born in Saudi Arabia, Riyadh. Uh, lived there for three years. I'm originally Egyptian, so by citizenship. Um, moved to Egypt for two years, and then my parents moved to the UAE when I was five. Um, so and I'm now 27, so it's been 22 years uh, of my life in the UAE. Um, I think I'm privileged and lucky to have grown in a country and an environment that allowed me to be very creative and try things out. And um, unlike a lot of people that maybe have a lot of potential, I think I was kind of um, helped along the way to actually reach certain goals. So without talking about my career, um, I always liked, you know, building stuff. Uh, We were just talking about this earlier. Like I liked making things. I liked, you know, working on a video just for the sake of making the video. You know, I used to do this in in high school all the time where I would volunteer to make like a a yearbook um, video or whatever. Um, And I think that stuck with me because throughout, you know, middle school, high school, and then later on university and then, you know, beyond into my professional life. I always had that kind of fascination with building things and trying. I think that's the way I learn, essentially, which is like, instead of watching YouTube videos or taking a course on how to edit, like I'd rather edit a video myself. And I think the same goes for pretty much anything. So graphic design, public speaking, um, and you know maybe more recently or more seriously, uh, building businesses, right? So um, yeah, I think that kind of sums me up in terms of like what I like and, and things I do. You know, I love video games, so naturally, that's kind of why I moved towards the gaming industry. Um, love football, um, love travel. And so I think all of that kind of culminates into what my life became after university. So I think we were just talking about how your university life is like you figuring out what's going to be next, what are you going to do, what are you going to try, but it's all about trying stuff. Um, and I think post that, I ended up you know, essentially putting myself in a position where I can do all of these things that I enjoy. So I can build something, I can work in gaming, I can travel the world, um, I can continue to watch my football team, uh, essentially, <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's a, a quick intro without the career stuff. That's awesome. Like, yeah, it's really cool to see how you've kind of mixed up all these different passions of yours together in your career, in your personal life and your professional life, which is not very easy to do. As someone who's just 21, who's figuring it out, I know it's very hard to figure to kind of make that mix. And you were saying that you can you reach those goals because of help 
Yeah. So what did you mean by that? I mean people. Like I've been very privileged. Um, my family has always been very supportive. Um, you know, the school that I went to, Westminster School of Dubai, shout out to that. Um, <laughs> you know, the university that I went to as well, American University of Sharjah. Like I think along the way there were always key influential people that I don't think realized how influential they were. Because if I take myself back to high school, like I, you know, I loved football, like I said. And so all I wanted to do was be like the, the captain of the football team. And I remember when I applied um, for that in the secondary kind of year, the supervisor at the time, Ms. Binney, actually took my application and said, no, you need to apply for a president. And I was like, why? And she's like, your grades are good and you're into sports. I think it'll be a, a better mix. And I, I didn't really want to be you know, president of student council. But that push led me to become that. And that then opened doors for me because then I was doing more things and I took on more responsibilities. Whereas I just wanted to play football, right? Um, so like, that's a very influential person in my life. That's not like, a, you know, it's not a, it's not a historian. It's not a, you know, great person in history. It's literally just a, a, teacher. a teacher. But I think, you yeah. know, having more individuals like Ms. Binney and like many other teachers in my life um, led me towards kind of where I am today. Because I think if I did things the way I wanted to do them, I probably would just, you know, become sports captain, maybe play a lot more football than, than I did and not really take on the leadership positions that I ended up taking up. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind that, of what I That's mean. interesting because um, there's a lot of research studies that have also showcased that a lot of successful people reach their point because... And it, all it takes is just like one person to change their life, like one influential person. And it can be even a teacher. So yeah. I think that's really beautiful. But that reminds me, of, for example, of my dad, right? Like my father, he he talks to me a lot about things that I should do. Even this podcast was something that he encouraged me to do. And there are lots of things that he tells me to do that I don't want to do, that I'm like, mm, I want to stick to this path. But he's like, no, take on a bigger leadership role, take on this and that. So how do you navigate that? Like, how do you navigate through, like, things that you want to stick by, but also taking help from others? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I'm very hard to convince. I'm very stubborn. And so you, you won't really get me to do something I don't want to do. It's just that maybe you'll plant a seed in my mind. Okay. And so what happened, you know, in that story and many other stories was, um, you know, individuals or teachers or whoever would plant a seed in my mind of like, what if you did this instead? And then I'd start fantasizing about, yeah, oh, yeah, sense. actually, what if I did that instead? And so that takes me from, you know, this position to that position. And then you keep going on and on. And like, you know, even if you look at, you know, the, the startups that I've built, uh, it's always been about, OK, I want to do this. And then someone asks, yeah, but why don't you do that? And, you know, it's a, it's a funny story that whenever I go back to uh, Westminster School, um, actually not anymore because he's not, he's not principal anymore, but the ex-principal of the school once said when I was a student that the school would reach the UN. He didn't know what he was saying or how it would happen or he, he just wow. believed that the school would, would reach, reach the, the UN. UN. And okay. then maybe, what, four or five years later, I was pitching at the UN. And the school wasn't really mentioned anywhere there, uh -huh. but in the back of my mind, and when I went you back to see him that. later, he was like, I told you. And I was like, oh, okay. And I think him saying it somehow planted a seed in my mind where I was like, this isn't a big deal, right? It's okay. Like, it's possible. Like, if he thinks it's possible, I should think it's possible. Um, so I think that's how it works. But you can't, like, you can't tell me, uh, do this and then expect me to follow it. Because yeah. that happened with a lot of other teachers that were like, oh, you have to focus on studies and you know, physics is very important, blah, 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 blah. And I'd be like, yeah, but I'm not really interested. And so I'd bunk class and I'd find excuses to do other stuff. And my excuses would be really good, by the way. Like I would literally- Very good liar. Not, not lying. <laughs> I would walk into class uh, five minutes before it ends. And the teacher asked, like, hey, what are you doing? Like, you've been bunking the class. I need you to go to the principal or whatever. And I'd be like, actually, I was with the principal. He's like, what do you mean? It's like, yeah, we were just talking about the strategy for this Smart. like upcoming event or whatever. <laughs> and like, they'd call the principal and he'd be like, yeah, he was here. Well, but he just didn't Martin, know that I was bunking class. You were like, bunking class. So, you're so, strategic about when you do it. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm too stubborn to you know, be forced into something. But I think I'm a good listener and I think I tend to, I guess, let people maybe feed um, ideas or thoughts or whatever to me that I can then kind of reflect on and, and kind of personalize and, and yeah, see if that actually is relevant to me or not. Because yeah. you might tell me like, hey, if you get into a career of public speaking, you might be a great speaker. And maybe I look at it and I'm like, oh, okay, actually, maybe I could. But at the same time, I might think that, oh, this person's telling me 
I know how to interact with, a, with an audience. I know how to grab a crowd. So why don't I use that to, in what yeah. I'm about to do? So yeah. that's kind of how I, I view things. Um, but yeah, I think people around you, the environment is definitely super important because I can't sure. imagine where I would be if all of those people in my life didn't say things at those moments that yeah. they did. Everything happens for a reason and timing is everything. So, yeah. yeah. And when when you say that you're a storyteller, that you're into you storytelling. That, I mean, but it's on I'm your just bio. Kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so what do you mean by that? What what how do you define yeah. yourself as a storyteller? I think it's an understatement to say, especially if you're working in marketing, that you are a marketeer. Mm-hmm. Right? I think it's very easy to market something. It's very hard to tell a story. Um, and, and storytelling is one of the most, you know, ancient forms of communicating that we know like when you're a baby your grandparents and parents are telling you stories if you look all the way back in history like when you reflect on ancient history it's stories of you know egyptian mythology greek mythology etc so storytelling is a very powerful thing i think um i aspire to be a great storyteller i just say i'm a storyteller i aspire to be a great (laughs) storyteller because once you master that art you can tell a story about anything and that could be, you know, a company you're building. It could be your life. It could be, you know, a, a cause that you really believe in. Um, and I think that has a lot more value than you knowing performance marketing or advertising or, you know, social media marketing. Like if you know how to tell a story, the format no longer matters, Makes right? Sense. It's it's the principle of I'm here to tell a really good story. I'm here to attract an audience. I'm here to, you know, grab your attention grab and, and focus uh, on something. So. Um, that's kind of how I like to refer to myself just because over time I've told very different stories. So, you know, in high school, TLDR, um, our school was meant to shut down at a certain point. And so my story was the school cannot shut down. Mm-hmm. And so that became the story that I was telling for maybe a year and a half until they reverted the decision and it stayed open. In university, towards the end, when I started working on ULight, my story was we're going to bring light to off-grid communities. And so that was my story at the time. When I then got into you know, L'Oreal and started working on social media for Visit Dubai and Dubai Tourism, those were my stories. I was telling stories about the products or the services, come visit Dubai, et cetera, et cetera. And now when I'm telling the story of games.gg, like that's my story of you know, what's Web3 Gaming, what are we doing? So that core principle is still the same. I'm still yeah. telling stories. It's just that the, the story itself is changing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of why I have it in my bio. And that's why I always, I always believe that storytelling is a lot more important than just, you know, marketing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like we focus so much on, even when we, when it comes to marketing, we focus more on like the product or like whatever the product is offering, but it's more about like what the company is offering, like the, the story that you're telling as a company. So that's like the basics of what we learn in marketing. Yeah. And, and we, we don't realize that we can apply that to every day in our other, in other facets of our life as well. So that's, that's definitely a great way to, way to put it. You were mentioning the stories of Ulight and I wanted to dive deeper mm-hmm. into to that i wanted to so probably when you were s- selling you like you you visited these countries mm-hmm. and you met did you meet some of the people yep. so do you want to share some stories on how that was like how how it went sure so just for context you um is a social enterprise that we started to provide human-powered energy for off-grid communities and our focus was mainly and you know you ask why human powered um, because if you go the solar route if you go the hydroelectric route any other route uh, typically there's a no infrastructure available for that to even happen and b um, usually it's very expensive even if you think it's cheap like it's very expensive for the local um, kind of user and so with human powered innovation the idea was basically you know you turn a handle you know, you turn a crank, um, you step on a pedal, and that motion generates the energy. And that way we could basically give energy to anyone based on their needs. So it's not like, you know, it's just a solar panel always, you know, absorbing sunlight, etc. It was very, very basic tech. Um, so when we started, it was actually part of a university project. So it was part of the Hall Prize, which is a competition that happens um, every year. Um, and... I don't think we understood the scale of what we were getting into at the time, just because it was still a, it was a concept, right? So it was an idea of what if we could do something. Um, and then as we started working on it more and more, um, so we went through the American University of Sharjah as a phase, um, and then got into Dubai Regionals, qualified through that, and then got into the Accelerator program, which was, I think, 41 startups at the time. And that happens in a castle somewhere in the UK. Uh, overkill, but... Um, <laughs> At the time when we were, you know, 
going against Oxford and, you know, the Yales and so on and so forth, it starts manifesting itself yeah, right. as like, a, hey, this could actually be a business. And so we realized, okay, to make it a business, we have to get like actual on ground, you know, evidence and, and like, how is this going to work, blah, blah, blah. So um, we, we fundraised, uh, I think, I can't remember what it was, I think like 2,000 or 3,000 pounds at the time just to get one of our team members to fly, to, fly. To, to, wow. the, to Nigeria um, and actually take a couple of the units. Uh, funny funny enough, he had to fly to Abu Dhabi to pick up the units in the airport and, and then fly to Nigeria, Nigeria. because we, ha- we didn't have all of them. Um, and then on the ground, that's where he was actually seeing, you know, not, not necessarily the result yet because it was still new, but he was seeing the impact and what we could possibly do for these people because he would, you know, he'd go around and he'd be like, you hear about people not having electricity, but you don't really understand it until you witness it in yeah, front of you, exactly. where it's like literally like at 7 p.m., everything shuts down and not out of choice. Like you look at the UK and Europe, they close at 7 or 8 because they want to close yeah, at 7 or 8. But in, in Africa and a lot of areas, it's because there's no sunlight anymore. Um, and so I think that made it real because that made it a gen- like it was no longer our story. It was the story of those people. Right. And so that was the story we had to tell. So when he came back to the UK, we we're like, OK, we have to make this you know, real. We have to make it happen. And so we ended up being one of the top six teams out of the 41 uh, pitched to the United Nations, actually did not win the million dollar prize. But then obviously, when we came back, there was a lot more publicity around it and people actually cared and so on and so forth. So we actually managed to raise uh, funds through a grant from Expo, Expo Dubai. Oh. Um, and that's when we actually started implementing the solution. I think to date, we've crossed over 15,000 people impacted in Nigeria, Kenya and Lebanon. So three three countries and um, essentially two continents. Um, so yeah, that's that's the story of ULED. I think it's a very simple story, but it's a very important story yeah. because it's very easy for you and me to talk about the future and tech and AI and blah, blah, blah. But then you look at people talking about light and food and water. And that's when I think life becomes real um, or it feels a bit too real. So, yeah, that was that was essentially why we built ULite in the first place. That's crazy. Like what you've done is insane. Like it's beautiful, the impact that you've created and like the families that you've impacted. And like there are so many things that we take for granted. Like it's just human nature we forget about other parts so we think like wherever we're living it's like that's the world but it's not and um especially living in the ua you really for you really take things for granted yeah, we're here. very spoiled yeah, yeah honestly so um when you when you hear these stories and when you witness all of that that's when you realize that like it kicks in mm-hmm. you know it's a click so what you've done is absolutely insane but i wanted to ask you why do you think it's it's so hard for the world to provide access to to these countries i mean there's lots of the grants there's lots of um different opportunities th- that are happening around the world to support s- such a, such causes but why is it so difficult like why is this problem so difficult to tackle i think it's Essentially, you know, you can't throw money at a problem and expect it to solve itself. Um, I think it's very easy to say, oh, we're going to raise X amount for, you know, energy poverty in Africa. It's hard to actually implement those solutions. There are so many abandoned solar projects in Africa. Like you literally go and you see the solar panels, they're unplugged and, you know, they're probably stolen. And like it's, it's a mess. It's all over the place because it has to be an ongoing effort by, you know, the governments of those countries. Um, and unfortunately... You know, the people that live in these areas aren't typically, you know, the middle class or the high earners. And so they don't really influence, let's say, voting as much, except during peak times where, you know, governments actually go and they 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 give them resources. Right. It's like, oh, you know, it's a new campaign. I'm running for president. I'm going to give all of you food. Come vote for me. And then as soon as the voting is done, it's like, never mind. Like, I don't know who you are. I'm just going to focus on the capital city and the cities around it. Um, So unfortunately, I think that's that's the case. And I think it's. Yeah, money's not um, the the solution to the problem. I think it's actually just like reimagining the infrastructure and ways that we can make it make sense because it's such a mass scale, right? It's it's a huge number in terms of just how many people don't have access um, to electricity and how many people don't have access to clean water and, and all the other humanitarian issues. So, I think it's more of a um, you know governmental responsibility than anything. I think 
Um, there, are, there are a lot of reasons why we're in this place, but I think the solutions are very clear. It has to be an active effort um, by certain you know, governments and by certain countries to get people out of that state. Because realistically speaking, once you get them out of that state, the entire country would you know, be in a better position. I think, I don't, I don't know the exact numbers now, but back when we first started, Nigeria had almost 55% of the population without stable electricity. So you're talking about like people that maybe they get electricity 12 hours a day, but then they lose it for the rest of the day. People that get it maybe eight hours a day and then they lose it for the rest of the day. And like people just go on with their lives uh, on power generators. And that then becomes the business, right? Like you then start selling power generators um, and people start buying those. So I think, yeah, it's just um, intentions. It's, um, you know, a focus that's required and it's also like a genuine effort that needs to be made. And, you know, unfortunately, it has to be people like ourselves that decide to come up with some startup and raise a bunch of money and then go and um, give our, our solutions to these people. But I like we always knew Ulight is not the solution. It's just a solution. a solution and it's meant to take you from, you know, maybe level zero to level one. Right. Like it's, it's definitely, you know, you can't imagine you and me, we can't imagine living life having to like turn a handle every time we need light but if i can give you that solution for now as a kind of a temporary solution until then maybe the government does something or maybe you start making enough money to buy something bigger like it just becomes that like a a temporary solution so yeah. you know it's sad um and every time we used to get deals because the way we would work is you know someone like Majid Al-Futaim would you know buy a thousand units and then we'd ship them to Lebanon on behalf of them essentially as this kind of aid mm-hmm. um every time we'd get orders I think as good of a feeling as it was it was also a, a reminder of like oh okay there are still people There's that need this people. like the fact that people are buying means that there are still people There's that need light and I think it's a, it's a, I don't want to say depressing, but it's a very sad emotion to know that no matter how hard you try to solve a humanitarian issue, there's always going to be more, right? So we can give a million people light and there's still going to be, you know, a billion more that still need it. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a sad reminder. Yeah, for sure. Like it's, it's kicking in. Yeah. Um, but it's, I mean, it is unfortunate in terms of what you're saying about the the action required by the government but it's also fortunate that we have people like you who who put in the effort and who create such kind of an impact so honestly kudos to you like it's amazing what you've done um and so moving on from from you light um i wanted to talk a little bit more about uh, you, you started your startup and we were talking about it before that you sent this cold dm and uh, and it, it happened, which is pretty cool. I saw the 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 article about you as well, which is cool. Um, and so, even before you were mentioning that people play such a huge role in all these different decisions that you do, and that one aspect of that is networking. That you need to network, you need to talk to people, you need to put yourself out there to get these opportunities. So, I wanted to understand what is your perspective on networking. Do you think it's become something superficial that it's become something so fake and forced that it's just something where you meet people to take advantage of them rather than okay that's a, that's one way to look at it i think networking is is crucial especially if you're in business i think it's it's definitely now especially in today's world it's a lot more important who you know rather than what you know yeah because right? you might be a very basic beginner in you know computer science and coding but you know the right people to get you into apple or amazon yeah. or whatever um i don't think it's superficial and i think as adults it should be totally fine to understand that everyone's got their own agenda everyone's trying to get their own thing uh-huh. you know when people reach out to me i'm not expecting them to like reach out just to like have a quick chat about football or something i'm expecting like a, a follow-up sales inquiry exactly. or like hey i'd like to you know uh talk to you about my raise that i'm doing could you help us with the same strategy like there's always something and i think the more transparent you are about it the, the better it actually comes off so instead of you you know buying me lunch dinner talking to me every day for like a week and then and then yeah asking me by the way i wanted to <laughs> say this like instead of tricking me into thinking maybe this is a friendship and then turning it into a business thing i think being very upfront and honest is is a good thing um yeah i don't think without without networking i don't think um i'd have a lot of the opportunities that i got today if i if i actually look at all the jobs that i held i don't think i ever got a job from like a linkedin 
ad or from a job application. It's always been reaching out to someone that I knew that either was in that company or that knew someone. So when I got my first fresh graduate job at L'Oreal, it was already past application stage. But because L'Oreal had visited AUS at, at some point um, and I won like one of their competitions, I knew the head of HR. And so I just literally Instagram DM like, hey, are you still looking at applications? Yeah, send me your CV. Boom, done. I got a you know a six month um, program at L'Oreal, um, and then after I quit L'Oreal, the agency that I started working for was actually L'Oreal's agency. So the, the social um. media company that did L'Oreal's social media um, was the company that then I ended up joining, and because I was their client technically. So it was we had breakfast and um, he was asking like you know, Hussam at the time uh, that used to run the team was asking me like hey what are you doing next and I was like honestly I don't know but you know it's, it's definitely not you know it's definitely not uh, client side and it's definitely not cosmetics and he was like how about you work in a social media agency where you can touch a lot of different projects and I was like oh that sounds cool so then that's how I got in and then the agency that I joined after was an introduction made by one of my clients from the previous agency. So I worked with Visit Dubai and Dubai Tourism, and Rashid at the time um, ended up suggesting that I go to Create. And so Rashid made the intro, and then you know I, I started talking so to them. One person it. to the next. Literally. And so it's never been like, oh, I'm going to type out my CV and send it to every single employer, blah, blah. It's always been like, if you know someone, they can definitely open a door for you somewhere. And then even if you look at you know now Games.gg, like, it was literally a, a cold LinkedIn DM, like you said with no expectation, right? But it was very clear. It was like, I wasn't here to vibe and talk about life. I was literally saying, uh, I like what you guys are doing. I just think you should focus more on gaming. And then, you know, Daniel, the co-founder, took a bet on responding to me where he was like, oh, okay, we're thinking about it. Would you like to get on a call? And then after the call, he was like, would you like to join us? So it's always been, um, you know, an aspect of how I essentially got doors to open for me it's never been like i'm not you know i'm not the smartest person in every room i'm not you know definitely maybe one of the hardest working people in every room but it's not like you know i know something in marketing that no one else knows like uh, i'm some whiz kid genius that has like the core reason of how, how you can go viral on social media and that's why all these companies hired me it was purely just good relationships uh being you know very honest about your intentions and then kind of just going after the right people and did you develop like closer relationships with those individuals or was it purely because of like the work that you did? No, I think naturally, yes. So, I mean, L'Oreal has been a while now. We still DM every now and then. We're still connected on social media. Um, Hussam, who then hired me in my first agency, is still a pretty good friend and we still, you know, communicate every now and then when he visits. I actually just saw him like two months ago. Um, Rashid, who was my client, who got me the second job, I think we send memes to each other every day on, on Instagram <laughs> at this point. Um, even though we only worked together for, I think, two years, but I've, I've probably known him for like four or five now. Um, and then obviously now more recently, yeah, with Daniel, we're still, we're still in touch. He's actually my, my co-founder of, of Games.gg. So yeah, I think if you click, then there's definitely something there. But also there's no shame in, in you know, realizing that maybe you were just the HR person and I befriended you for that specific reason. I, I understand why you might want to feel bad about it, but think about it in reverse. Mm -hmm. Like if you were the HR person, mm -hmm. right? And I wanted the job. In theory, you, you should be fine with me trying to get that out of you, right? I shouldn't deceive you. I shouldn't, you know, um, court you and befriend you a bit too much. Like it should just be pretty straightforward. Like, hey, I'm looking for an opportunity. Do you have something? And you can say yes or no. It's mm -hmm. up to you. Um, so, yeah, I don't... I don't I get why you say it's superficial and I think in certain scenarios it is like I hate going to events because I think those are maybe some yeah. of the worst forms of networking yeah. I think one-on-ones and kind of more private conversations are a lot better exactly. um, but yeah in events you tend to see people like just walk around shake everyone's hand say hi I'm XYZ from ABC uh, nice to meet you what do you do oh that's cool give me your number and like walk away I think it's kind of like speed dating almost where yeah. it's like hi nice to meet you here's my profile okay I don't like you next hi. like it's literally that but um, I, I think it does play a role because you never know who you might bump into, right? Like you might sit next to someone that's then head of XYZ and that opens the door for you. So I get why it feels superficial, but it's, it's definitely a super like core part of growing in business in general. And I think growing beyond business as well, you could probably, as a doctor, you could probably open doors just by knowing, you know, the head doctor at some hospital or True. something. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Like networking is such an important part of entrepreneurship, of life, of, of anything uh, in which you want to grow or advance in your career. Um, for me, when you mentioned networking events, that's that's where my perception of networking was formed, because when I started attending these events, it just felt so 
fake yeah. for me it just feels like it's more about the quality than the quantity so it's it, like even when you were saying that you developed good relationships with those people that showcases quality of yep. the relationship you developed with them so i think networking is important but it's it's a lot more about not how many people you know but yes exactly the, you need to have a goal in mind like when we were raising I flew to San Francisco GDC, which is like a gaming convention, but I was there for one mission, which is I'm raising money. And so the people I was talking to, I wasn't scanning the room looking for, you know, the coolest person or whatever. I was literally looking for investors. Who you needed. And so it was like, are you an investor? Yes, I want to talk to you. Are you an investor? Yes, I want to talk to you. And so by scanning the room and kind of figuring out what you're there for and having a clear goal, I think that makes it a lot more productive. But if I was just there to, you know, vibe and chill and, oh, what do you do? Oh, that's nice. Okay, yeah, I do this, blah, blah, blah. I think, yeah, it's a waste of time. Um, but I think purposeful networking is very strong. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that, that that's why I wanted to. Cause this is something that I that's always kind of like bugged me in terms of, I see the pros in it. I also see the cons in it. Um, especially living here um, in Dubai, I love it. It's it's definitely great. But I feel like you you do meet a lot of people who are either. I don't know. I don't know if I should use the word fake, but it's just that they they're you meet a lot of people who who only want to be friends with you for like materialistic yeah. reasons you know what i mean yeah. um how has that been like for you uh, in terms yeah. of like the environment here i mean yeah a lot more people started talking to me after we raised two million um i think i'm still preaching the same stuff like i was always saying hey i'm gonna make web3 gaming a thing and i want people to understand that blockchain technology and gaming is a good thing not a bad thing blah blah um and i didn't have as many people listening but now that you know we have a company worth 20 million dollars everyone's like oh tell me more like what about web3 gaming um so i definitely relate to that but i think it also it's just human nature, it's nature. right yeah, it's like true. i don't think like you could just be you know, Maria and Omar, and, and we're just talking, and, and that's it. But you could then become like Marine, the president of XYZ, and, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, okay, I need to pay more attention because if you hold such a status or if you've raised the amount of money, then uh, you must be important or you must be smart. Um, so I think it's, it's just a natural part of being human. Um, we're drawn to more successful people or people that maybe. Uh, we aspire to replicate things they've done. I'm not saying you want to be like me, but maybe you want to raise money too. And so now I'm interesting because you want to understand how did we raise money. Mm -hmm. Similarly, like you might, you know, build a great product and, and maybe I don't want to build that same thing, but I want to figure out how'd you do it, right? Um, so I think it's natural, but with time, you get the gist of it where it's like you can maybe in five to 10 minutes already know who's going to waste your time yeah. and who's not. So I've met a lot of people that like in, you know, in five minutes, especially in gaming, by the way, because we meet a lot of game studios and they'll sit down and they'll be like, I'm ex Activision and my co-founder is ex Riot and I worked at Ubisoft and Xbox and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay. And then I was like, yeah. And so we're trying to raise money. Okay. Do you have a product? Uh, not yet. And it's like, okay, thanks. Like, you know, like that's all I need to know. If you don't have a game, I'm not interested in talking to you. And then you'd meet other people that are literally like, hey, how's the weather? It's like, oh, it's pretty cool. What about you? Yeah, it's good. You know, my kids are in the other room, blah, blah, blah. And it will be a friendly conversation. And maybe you'll get along and maybe you won't do business. But now you've formed a relationship, right? A lot of our investors are actually like, I won't say friends, but they're good relationships. Like a lot of the early investors, especially, they knew us for two years before they invested in us. And so when I said, hey, guys, by the way, I'm raising. They're like, oh, OK, cool. Like, here's the check. Right. Because it was because like it, they know who I am and they know I'm not going to, you know, bluff or bullshit or whatever. And so sorry, can we curse on the um, I mean, I will probably okay, cut we it can't out. BS. OK, <laughs> slightly better. Um, and so, yeah, like they just essentially based on trust and knowing you as a person, they would invest in you. So, yeah, I, again, like I said, I, I get it and I think it's human nature and I think it's normal. But I think you, if I'm advising you, you know, whenever you're in that position, um, I think with time you understand like who's wasting your time and who's not. And it becomes your responsibility to then allocate your time accordingly. So don't do, you know, one hour calls with everyone because then you're just wasting your time. Like you could do 10, 15 minute calls. And then if it's actually important um, or there's something there, you can then get on a second call and a third call and so on. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's actually a great way to way to put it, because um as you were saying, you'll meet like all the all those different types of people here. And in of course, there's like the negative side to it. But I guess what you said was right, that it's human instinct. It's just yeah. human nature to, to to be attracted to certain types of individuals. Um, and it's just how you navigate through that. So that's that's for sure. And 
when when talking about like the space of of Dubai and building a startup and and all of that, how has the culture of UAE or Dubai helped you in that? Yeah, I think um, I'm definitely a risk taker naturally just by living here because I think I know that we can always aim at the very top, at the highest that we could probably reach. Um, I think maybe when you come from different mentalities or mindsets or countries where, you know, uh, that's too far, you know, that's out of reach. And, you know, it definitely plays a role where in the past I've also been kind of conditioned to believe that I can go super high. Because, you know, you talk about the principle saying we're going to go to the UN and then we actually go to the UN like that in your mind then starts telling you, oh, like no one else is better than you if you work just as hard or harder, right? Um, so, yeah, I think um, it's it's definitely like it, it plays it plays a role when you truly understand your limitations or lack of limitations. And I think with Dubai, it's definitely lack of limitations because you look at, you know, tallest burj in the world and the fastest this and the biggest that and so on and so forth. And so as a resident, let's say, of the UAE, for 22 years um, I think we don't really know limits yeah right for sure in, in, in the best sense yeah possible <laughs> and so yeah when we're building something and it's like oh how many how many viewers can we get for the stream it's like I don't know like 10k ah oh, let's do 20 you know it's like let's aim higher we aim and, higher and you know even when you look at like you know content that you push out or uh, milestones or whatever even if you look at like the raise that we did I think 20 million is a lot of money in terms of valuation for a company uh, a lot of tech companies maybe will raise at 5 or 7 max but I think the Dubai plus the Web3 in me was kind of like, no, like, let's actually go higher because we're building something great here. So, yeah, I think in that sense, for sure, uh, it influenced me. I think also in the sense of being able to work with anyone um, just because, you know, you grow around all these nationalities and different types yeah. of people, blah, blah, blah. So um, it's really easy. I actually, funny enough, I, I've never met Daniel, my co-founder, in person. Oh, really? It's always been online. I've never met him in my wow. life. I'm due to meet him sometime next year, but um, he's always been in Portugal. I've always been here. Um, there are maybe four or five team members that I've also never met in my life. Um, even though, you know, I've flown around a couple of places, but like I just like never, never happened to meet them. But I can work with them really well because it's just another, you know, Portuguese developer. It's just another, you know, Brazilian graphic designer. Like, it's okay. Like, I've interacted with similar with people them. in the past. Yeah. Um, so I think it teaches you how to work with people as well. Yeah. Um, and then I think it also teaches you how to be opportunistic. Um, I think Dubai has a tendency of teaching you, you know, that there's always a way, there's always a grant, there's always a, you know, um, an entity or an institute, there's always something yeah. that can help you get where you're trying to get to. So more recently, you know, we started working with, uh, you know, not Dubai, but the Abu Dhabi gaming kind of entity where they're, you know, they're doing subsidies and they're doing all these events and all these sponsorships and all these great things because they want gaming to become a thing and they want Abu Dhabi to be the hub for that. Um, and I think in other countries, you don't even like fathom thinking, oh, let me reach out to the government to support me on this project, right? It's like, it's such a far it's, concept. Yeah, Whereas like, I'm comfortable drafting an email and saying, dear Abu Dhabi gaming, I would like to introduce you to blah, blah, blah. Like, and that becomes a, a very normal thing. So I think that's, that's how Dubai has uh, conditioned me in yeah. the past. Yeah that's it's also like it's one thing is like you you always have high aims seeing like the tallest building in the world as you mentioned but it's also growing up here you see all that development like mm -hmm. you've witnessed the growth of the country yeah. same as me growing up here so that also motivates you yeah, and like right. i mean if the place i'm living in can grow that much i mm -hmm. can too so exactly. that definitely plays a huge role always raises the ceiling right it just goes higher and higher and higher yeah. yeah yeah for sure and like as you were saying like you're you're so used to the multiculturalism you're used to the people here so that interacting with anyone is like it's mm -hmm. it's not an issue at all so yeah dubai definitely is like a melting pot of 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 cultures and, and it's given huge opportunities for everyone so that's 100%. pretty, pretty it's cool. also a part of you know i said earlier like people Put me in positions i think as a country it also puts you it puts you in a position because yeah. if i'm the same person yeah, with the same sure. people but i'm in egypt i think i end up slightly differently towards the end right like my career doesn't necessarily play out as the same, as, uh, the same way that it, it yeah. did so yeah i think it definitely you know plays a role and that's why i always say i'm lucky because if i'm omar in any other country i think the story changes a bit yeah and and this relates you were saying that um, there are so many opportunities like you can meet anyone you can aim high and like even for my podcast when I started this I was I feel like everyone is in Dubai like all the big people that I want to interview including you like everyone's in Dubai so um, it's just like easy to 
to aim high you know yep. so yeah that's that's definitely relatable in, in in that sense and talking about entrepreneurship and creating a business and in that regard we learn a, a lot about like in leadership courses we learn about oh these are skills that you acquire and these are skills that you are born with so what do you think about like the traits of being an entrepreneur do you think a lot of it are things that you acquire or learn or or a lot of it involves uh, the way you are born i think mostly it's things you acquire Mm -hmm. but i think there are certain traits that if you're born with maybe it makes you probably more likely to persist Mm -hmm. let's say Mm -hmm. so i think if you have a tenacity or, or a sense of stubbornness um you're more likely to persist against all of these, you know, inner and outer thoughts of it's not going to work, it's going to fail. Why are you doing this? You're wasting your time. Think about stability. Think about A. Think about B. Um, so I think if you're born with that mindset, or if maybe it's cultivated in your household, um, then you're a lot more likely to succeed. But then I think you acquire skills such as leadership. You acquire skills such as, you know, being able to critically think and and kind of deploy strategies and so on. So it's definitely. I'm more on the, you know, acquire um, and learn side, but I do think there's maybe one or two traits that I've seen in other entrepreneurs, like if they don't have that sense of resilience and maybe it's not like you can, you can in theory build resilience, but I think if it's not already embedded within you at a young age, it's very hard over time, especially when you're older and you've got responsibilities and kids and, you know, bills and so on. It's not as easy, but when you're like a a kid and you're like already stubborn, resilient, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to keep going. da da da. I think you're a lot more likely to to succeed in theory or to at least maybe not succeed in your first venture, but your second or your third or your fourth. Right. Because you will persist past that stage. You will be one of the, you know, five, 10 percent, whatever statistic when, when they talk about um, entrepreneurs that make it. So, yeah, definitely more on the acquired and, and learned and, side. And that depends on on how you're raised. That yeah, depends 100%. a lot. So do you think your family played a huge role? Yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. Um, I think. My family being as flexible as they were with kind of my decision to decide to do whatever it is I wanted to do, um, you know, going from purely science with biology, chemistry, physics and O levels and then um, kind of similarly in AS levels and then just jumping into marketing. I think it's, it's a wild jump and not many people are as lucky. And I know people from similar cultures, right, like Egyptians and, um, you know, other Arab countries and other um, Asian countries and Middle Eastern countries like they, they don't have that flexibility. So I think it definitely plays a role. And then I think just. Um, it's not a sense of perfectionism, but it's more, I always felt accountable, I think, in a sense where it's like, if I got a 97, it, was, it wasn't a question of why didn't you get a 100, it was a question of why did this other kid get a 98? Mm-hmm. I think that's the way my family phrased it. It wasn't like, I didn't have to get the perfect score, I just had to get the highest possible score, given that everything else was constant. So if all the kids studied the same amount of time, why did I get a grade less? And the answer is typically, oh, he studied more or he worked harder or mm-hmm. he understood this concept better. And so that I think embedding that within me was always kind of a, it played a role because now when I look at other you know companies or whatever in the space, I'm like, yeah, but why, why are their numbers higher, right? Like what are they doing and how can I emulate it or even, you know, get better? So yeah, I think, you know, I've been definitely um, lucky and my family, you know, background wise, um, all my, all my sisters studied very different things and, and worked in very different fields from pharmacy to dentistry to finance and accounting. My dad's background was in political science. Um, he ended wow. up working as a, you know, quality consultant. So it's, it's very diverse. Like it wasn't like an engineering family or, yeah. a, you know, a, me- a medical family. Yeah. So, you know, definitely privileged and, and lucky to grow up. But I think also beyond, so your family plays a role and then your kind of your outer circle also plays a role. I think, you know, yeah. high school friends, sure. teachers, like, I think that definitely plays a role as well because like I told you earlier, someone telling me, hey, you shouldn't aim for sports captain, you should aim higher, that influences it. Friends that look at me and they're like, oh, you know, like what you're doing is great. I want to do just that or I want to be just like you and, you know, um, I'm, I'm faced with a certain challenge or whatever, like that builds confidence within you. And I think, you know, the, the I guess the outer circles start becoming less and less important. But when you look at your nuclear family and then your immediate kind of friends and, you know, colleagues or teachers or whatever, those have so much influence over you. And that's why I think like being a teacher is such a hard job because you're genuinely molded. On the way here, um, literally in the cab, I saw one of my sixth form teachers post on LinkedIn. I want to... 
I want to be, I can't remember the quote. I want to be the teacher that when students reflect back on, they remember something, something fondly or whatever. And I was, I literally replied, I was like, you already are. Cause there are so many teachers in, in, in my past, you know, middle school, high school, university that I view as influential and maybe they don't even understand or see it. Right. There were teachers that, you know, maybe gave me a B plus in university, but are so influential in my life because they showed me the way or they guided me or they called me out when I wasn't doing enough. I remember once I got an A in, um, in an assignment in public speaking and after the assignment, so, you know, the teacher puts the grade out, whatever, when you're walking out of the class, um, she stops me on the side and says, I know you just like, can't, I can't curse. I know you, you, you can say it's fine. It's okay. Fine. No, I was going to say, I know, I know you bullshit it your way through. Um, because it, it was genuinely like it was improv on the spot. I was just talking about a topic and I just went on and she was like, you got the grade, but I know you just, you know, you bullshitted your way through and it's, uh, it's not a good thing. So you should like take a look at yourself and, and understand that for next time. And ever since then, every single assignment, I was like doing research. I was doing this. And I was like, you know, I'm not, I'm never going to get this comment again, even though I got an A and I could just walk away. Right. So I think, yeah, there's so many influential people around you and family is definitely maybe the biggest influence. I'd yeah. Say. Yeah. That's beautiful. And, um, you were talking about your family mentioning, uh, not like getting the highest score, but getting the highest possible yeah. score. And so there is an element of comparison there. Do you think that adds a lot of pressure? Or did it add a lot of pressure in you? growing up yes and no i think like any other egyptian arab kid growing up in in dubai you were always compared to you know um maybe friends or the son of a friend or you know the cousin back at home (laughs) or whatever um but i think very quickly um especially with my mom i think my mom very quickly realized that i was a lot more mature um, and so these, compa- I mean, I still see comparisons to be honest, where it's like, oh, X, Y, Z did this. And you know, why don't you do ABC or whatever? But that's, I think that's normal. It's just part of, you know, just being a parent. Um, but I don't think I saw comparisons with like grades as much. It was always just that question of like, did anyone else? And I could honestly, I could always lie. Right. And get away with it. Cause it was yeah. like, did anyone else get a higher than 88? It's like, no, no one did. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. Right. And I could always lie, but I, I just, you know. Sometimes I did, you know, sometimes I did lie. But um, on in the cases where I didn't, it was like, why? They didn't care about who the person was or how were their parents raising them or, you know, it was always just a question of like, are they better than you? Like, is that person like, do they have an extra arm or an extra leg or, you know, an extra brain or something? Like, why are they getting a better grade? And I think that's the concept that was embedded there. But yeah, I mean, comparisons and things like that, I think you see it, um, especially with, like, I don't know, like, you know, go go pray on time, like uh, your cousin, or um, I don't know who helps around the house a lot more, blah, blah, blah. I think that's just, it's, it's part of it. And I think you, you grow with thick skin in this true, region specifically. True. You adapt to that, yeah. for sure. Yeah, like it's the same for, for, for Pakistani culture, yeah. like the whole comparison element. And it's just the way you deal with it. It You can either take it negatively or you can kind of take the positive in, in whatever, like the, the actual message that your parents are trying to give you. That, but that's a hard lesson to learn. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't want to jinx it, but for example, you, you talk about Pakistan. I know a lot of my friends like are getting married or are engaged. And like my mom's never asked me that question. That's why I said I don't want to jinx it. My mom's never been like, oh, when are you going to get married? You know, but like she knows oh, like, I'm going to friends' weddings and she knows they're getting married. But I think in her mind, like I'm an adult enough to to like when that time comes to like have a conversation and to start thinking about it. But I think, yeah, you know, maybe we're I think it's a good and a bad thing. I think we're maybe unlucky to get these comparisons growing up. But at the same time, I think it's what grounds us. Like I would pick our culture any day, any time over For like sure. Western cultures just For because, sure. you know, sure they have great things and maybe they're better than us in certain ways. But I think like we're so grounded yeah. in family For and sure. you know, there's no, Oh, I'm 18. I'm going to leave the house. I'm going to do this. Like it's always family, 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 family. And I think that's where a lot of your values keep developing. And like, I don't know where I would be if at 18 I left the house, for example. Right. Like, I don't think I would be in the same spot in the same place talking to you, for example. So, yeah, yeah, I think it's a good and bad thing, but mainly a good thing. Yeah, for sure. Like even a lot of the previous episodes, we we talk a lot. There was one episode I did with my sister. My first episode was with my sister. And we talked a lot about things we don't like and we like about our our culture in general. And we talked about marriage and we talk about the marriage pressure. Like this is embedded in our culture, like completely entrenched into our culture. And so there are lots of things that I don't like about it. My sister doesn't like about it. 
but then we were talking about the values that we gained through our family like like i don't drink alcohol my sister doesn't i'm happy i i i didn't i don't mm-hmm. i'm not in that environment and that i'm very much in love with my family and that yeah. we're so close knitted and like there's so many little things like how hospitable pakistanis are mm-hmm. there's so many little things that i learned growing up um that i would not exchange for anything in the world even if i find a lot of issues in yeah you know if, even if there are things that are toxic and not yeah, but it comes a trade off at that point it's like is it true. worth losing all these other things just to be able to not hear when are you going to get married you know like it becomes a question of like what's the trade off right what are you giving up and i think it's very hard to give up some of like the the morals and values that yeah. get embedded within us but would you feel uncomfortable if your your parent your mom would start asking I I don't know if I would had actually make it a joke and like make her feel uncomfortable to be honest. Oh, really? uh, yeah, I think that's that's how it works around the house. Um yeah, I just I don't I don't see it as pressure. I know my my mom and my family always have, you know, um what's best for me in mind all the time and that's why, you know, they took a a gamble on I guess my choice of degree and that's why, you know, I left stable jobs and decided to build businesses. Like they're not easy decisions. You have to think about the mother that's, you know, at home sitting thinking, you know, what's my kid doing? Is this yeah. the right thing? Have I failed him by not forcing him to go into a certain career path, etc., yeah. etc. Et so, um, you know, I, I you know, definitely I think my mom always has my best interest. So even if she ever asks me a question, I know she's asking for me, she's right. not asking for her, right? I think I mean, that's a flaw in some parents and and you see that in this region where like they want to live through their kids. I oh think, yeah, that's true. I think that's not the case with my mom. My mom just wants me to live like the life that she always desired for me, right? So it's not so much that like, oh, uh because she couldn't do X, she wants me to do it. It's more of like I worked so hard to get you to where you are today. I want you to go yeah. even further, right? Like I want you to be my you know, my dad used to always tell me this. He used to say I want you to be better than me. And I think that, you know, it's and it's very hard because you think like, how can I be better than you? Like, that's impossible, right? Like you do this and you do that and you have kids. Exactly. And but like, it was always like, I'm not trying to get you to be as good as me. I'm trying to get you to be better than me, right? And my mom would say the same thing. It's like, I want you to be the best possible version, even better than me. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's a, it's a genuine emotion that maybe only exists in, in, in this kind of side of the world where it's, it's so tight and home-knitted. I, yeah. I always hear like people tell me, especially now, like working in, with a company that has portuguese people and so on and so forth like they tell me all oh, my grandparents are here and you know my my mom is there and whatever i'm like how can you like be so far you know like how and it's like oh you live with your family it's like yeah of course i do like i'm not married yet of course i do um so yeah i think very very different concepts very different realities yeah yeah like there are so many things that i mean we talk a lot about oh our parents being annoying like they keep asking us to do this and that but like our parents have the best interest for us yeah. and um it's easy to forget that it's easy to like you know be ungrateful and 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 argue with them and stuff but honestly like whatever they do they do it for us especially like living in the UAE like our parent all the families here they're expats like they've literally left their homes mm-hmm. and come here f- for us for the, yeah. for our future so yeah that's that's definitely beautiful way to acknowledge that yeah and um moving on from from that topic uh i wanted to you were talking about teachers and you were talking about how that's influenced you a lot so i wanted to talk about the education system and mm-hmm. school systems in general because you were saying that you learned through practice you learn when you actually do but the education system is not I really like that. Yeah. So <laughs> So what do you think of like of how effective high school systems and universities are? I think they are very crucial as an environment. Okay. I think you cannot be homeschooled and expect to have a certain Same. set of values and and you know life skills. Um I think it's very hard to make friends if you've never made friends in school. Um I think it's very hard to lead when you've never led a sports team or a debate yeah. club or whatever so i think it's very very core um i think one of my papers in university was literally titled uh, the education system is failing um and it was just a critique of i guess how everything has developed except the education, education system. system you look at you know exactly. medicine you look at you know everything ai etc um yet education is still classroom bell rings take out your books homework etc and i i don't think it's the fault of the teachers i think you know they're just they're pieces of the puzzle um but i think 
you know, as, as maybe fair and unfair as it might be, uh, it's your responsibility as a student to make the most out of your um, education years. I think as a student in middle school and high school, we were just talking about it, I learned um, mainly through doing. And so, for example, you know, I'll give you a very random example. The way I learned Photoshop was by bunking class and going to uh, the person that at the time used to do all the graphic design for the school. So, I mean, he was like, a, I guess, media coordinator, you could say, and just like sit next to him and like ask questions. So, so like, how do you, how do you clone this? How do you stamp this? How do you do that? And he'd like, let me try. And he didn't know that I was bunking. So he just assumed I had a free period or whatever. Um, but that's how I learned Photoshop. Like I just watched him do stuff, went home and did it myself. Um, the way I, I guess, learned, I'm not going to say public speaking, but the way I got more confident with speaking in public was by getting on stage in assemblies and by, you know, um, talking to people and, and spreading awareness or whatever it was that I was doing. Um, it was by, again, bunking other classes. I feel like I feel so bad for my physics and math teachers, but it was I like... I feel like you never attended any classes. It, like I never attended the classes I was meant to attend, but I'm going to tell you now a funny story. I used to attend classes that I wasn't meant to attend. So I used to go to English class because they had debates in class and I would sit and listen and then, and then it, it reached a certain point where I almost became like an unofficial student. And so the teacher would actually call upon me to debate. And it's like, wow. dude, like I'm not even in your class. Like I'm not getting graded. But like it was literally like I just enjoyed watching people like articulate their arguments and talk about what they believe in. And so I'm skipping math, but I'm doing English. And so it's very hard to get mad at me because it's like this kid's still learning. Yeah, like this kid's not like onto something bad. He's just <laughs> yeah. he's just like so maybe not focused on what he's doing, right? And so that's how I learned. I learned everything I'd say outside the classroom. Obviously, you get concepts and theories and all that stuff. And I think you know. To a certain extent, some are important, but yeah, I learned in projects. I learned in in you know initiatives. I learned in assemblies. I learned how to speak by constantly going on stage and speaking. And you know, the first time I was terrible. The second time I was bad. The third time maybe I was slightly better. Like that's how it always goes. And so I think going back to the point, um, you it's your responsibility to get the most out of your education. I think you know with the internet and all the access that you have with now, especially with ChatGPT and all that stuff. Like I think it's very easy to cruise past. Um, studying but the education piece is so so important like I I see I don't know if there's a statistic somewhere or study or whatever but I personally see a lot of my friends that are doing really well are friends that had good years in high school or university and a lot of the ones that are maybe still struggling or they're confused or they're in a job that they hate are ones that really despised high school and university because to them it was a chore it was, oh, I have to wake up at seven. I have to do this. I have to do that. And so now they're in a position where they're like, I don't know what I want to do. Like, you know, my manager's not telling me what I need to do, blah, blah, blah. Whereas the people that like just did random, random stuff like debate club, art club, whatever, whatever, they're like enjoying their life because they've learned the skill of getting what you want out of the experience. Right. Um, yeah. That's why I say if you, you know, if, if you don't enjoy those years where it's literally like, you know, you're riding a bike and you've got the support um, wheels next to you and like you can't make a mistake if you fall someone's gonna pick you up um, there's always someone telling you to go to class like I miss that feeling you know sometimes I, I genuinely miss someone telling me like go to class you're supposed to do this tomorrow you have this at this time you don't get that anymore when you're yeah. an adult and so it's so important at that stage to enjoy mold yeah. yourself and enjoy it as much as possible um, can the education system get better of course 100%. I think the way we teach, the way we consume, the way we even view, and it's changed. I think it's changed. It just hasn't changed as fast. But the way we like, I remember when I was in school, if you had a phone on you, like you do detention, they take oh, it yeah. away, blah, blah, blah. And then I, I go to school me. now and everyone's got an iPad. I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like, where, where was this in my year? Right. Um, but it's just like, I think there's a there's a gradual slow evolution it's not maybe as fast because i i don't i still think they don't teach you stuff that's important like taxes and you know interest rates and like things that maybe you learn later on um i think could definitely be taught to you a lot sooner but yeah i i cannot i cannot possibly like i'm i'm not part of the leave school drop out side of the equation just because i think that works for a lot of specific individuals with specific traits and specific ways of kind of going around their life but for the majority of people 
you need those support pedals. You need someone to tell you and put you in your place and tell you to do this and tell you to do that until you learn, okay, this is what's happening. And, and you, you try gaming it essentially where it's like, I know as long as they're happy, they're not going to cause me problems. And blah, blah. So like I could have just bunked and played football, but I knew I'd get in trouble. Like if someone saw me play football, I'd be like, oh, what are you doing? Go back to class. But if I was in another class, like no one was going to knock on the door and be like, hey, can I get this student to go back to his class? Right. So, yeah, just I think it's so, so important. And and it's sad to me when, you know, kids are like, I hate school. It's like, no, you don't. You hate studying. You don't hate school because school is where you make your friends. Most of my close friends today are high school friends. Like literally until today, we're all 27. Someone's in San Francisco. Someone's in Pakistan. Someone's like we're all literally on Call of Duty lobbies and we're all high school friends. And we talk about how I remember in, you know, grade seven, remember in grade eight, remember grade nine. And I think that you cannot do homeschooled, you know, that's just it doesn't come about as much. That's definitely an interesting perspective because um, what you said about you make the most of school. That's so true. That's so true. Like for me, when I was in high school, I was like the one who would like, I wanted to do everything and I, I, I would study really hard. And even though I, I'm happy with all the effort I put in in high school, it really shaped the way I am now. But um, I felt like I did put in a lot of effort on things that was that was not necessarily useful. I, I did A-levels and like my whole focus was just on those exams and I'm happy I did it. Like I. I'm not, I don't regret it, but sometimes I do think that like, oh, like, I don't think it was the most useful thing that, um, that shaped me in terms of like what I learned, but in terms of like, oh, I learned to discipline, like the skills that I got, like discipline and like learning to build a schedule for myself, like Mm -hmm. all of that really, really helped. So in that way, for sure. But like, for example, when I talk about my younger sister, she, she, you were saying like, you don't like when people say they hit school, like my sister is like always has that always like and so um initially it was because she didn't like the environment in her school so um a lot of people the teachers they would compare her to like her siblings because we were also in the school so they would always such a burden that's annoying that's for i can't even imagine like Mm -hmm. that's really toxic to be honest like that kind of environment so you're always being compared and then um she didn't like the teachers as much and so i felt like oh she doesn't like school because of the environment so she changed schools and now she's very happy with the environment that she's in she's she doesn't like like school school as in she doesn't like what she's studying but she loves her environment a lot more she made good friends and stuff so and so what what you say is it's what you make out of it that's 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 true um and i think but it really depends on if you're lucky enough to have a good environment around you as well so important yeah i think like i said it's all you know it's, it's partially luck for sure because I'm lucky that I went to the school I went to and maybe if I went to a different school my teacher would have made my life miserable and I would have hated the experience and I would never become president of the council and I would never go to the UN and I would never build a business right like but it's such a butterfly effect yeah. where it's like you know your sister feels that way because of the experience she had and maybe now she's not as open anymore to even like exposure to this new environment or whatever because she's like no that teacher was terrible and that teacher was terrible so yeah definitely plays a role I think environment is super super important yeah for sure so um, like as you said, I think there is there's a lot of room for improvement in the education system, the school system. Um, but again, it's just what, how you deal with with that. Like now in university, we were talking about me studying computer science, and it's not like I want to do it as a profession, and it's not like I love my classes either. But if I skip some classes, I'm I usually like either I'm working on the podcast or I'm like or I'm attending a class from a different major as well. So that relates to me as well. Um, So again, it's all about how you take that opportunity. I definitely feel that. I think at high school, my grades were definitely better. So I think, I can't remember, but I think I got like six A stars, one A, one B. Um, My performance got slightly worse when I I went to university, but I Uh genuinely think I enjoyed the classes in university a lot more because I did sports marketing, luxury marketing, marketing communications, um, the psychology of marketing. Like I did all of these courses that I really enjoyed. And even if I got a B plus, I was like, dude, whatever. Like I actually understood a new concept that I can apply. And so, yeah, I think, you know, um, to a certain extent, uh, we're so tunnel visioned on, I need to be the best student and get the best grades and uh, all the teachers need to love me and blah, blah, blah. Whereas it's actually like, what, what are you getting out of it? So I was always getting something out of it. 
you know, if it was a class, I was getting new information. Um, and so that helped me along the way. And I did so many random irrelevant classes. Maybe you look back at it and you're like, why would you do biology, you know, at, at 21 years old when you're like into um, business? But for me, it was just like, I'm so fascinated by you're the learning. way the body works and I'm learning something new. And maybe that curiosity that I still have today was fed through that course, right? So there's always something that you get out of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm with you 100%. I, I can't say I loved school as in studying school. Uh -huh. um, I wish school told me I could work in gaming, for example, right? Like everyone always viewed like, oh, why are you staying up so late? You're playing video games, you're wasting your time. You're never gonna make money with video games. Like two, we just raised $2 million. Like, yes, you can make money with video games. It's just that I think the concept and kind of the general sentiment towards education is always that it's a classroom, you're stuck, it's a box, you have to be like everyone, blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, again, I think luck plays a role as well. Yeah. And like the school was created for like factory workers, yeah. like that was the initial reason. So it's it's crazy to think that it's the it's same. still the today. same. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. But yeah. And with the with the advancements in AI, I feel like school is even more outdated. Dude, my teachers are so lucky. They're so lucky there was no chat GPT. Oh. <laughs> you have no idea. I would literally like everything. The fact that I was doing everything the night before. Imagine with AI, it would be crazy. You know, now it's like hard for me to comprehend the fact that I I used I did my first year of college without chat GPT. Literally, I mean, now you're still in college, so like, yeah. you know, good for you. But for me, like where I had to write everything myself, and like I cannot imagine. Like I'm, I'm telling you genuinely, I think my teachers should be grateful that I had no you chat didn't GPT have because I would literally just like submit everything you know two minutes before deadline and still get straight a's and you know go along and like how are you gonna stop me right like what are you gonna ban chat gpt i've seen so many like schools try and say don't use ai you it's can. like how are you gonna know exactly you cannot ban so there's, it there's detection it's... systems yeah but it depends on what you feed yeah AI. if i give it all the research if i just like drop links and then tell it to extract from this it's how good. are you gonna know so it's... yeah it's uh it's definitely a tricky time, but good for you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful yeah. for sure. It's like it's like calculators when calculators came in as well. Everyone oh, was and like you do coding as it. well. It would be so cool because you could like, oh, just give me the code for this <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah, that would, that would be so cool. you know my tricks, but yeah. I mean, of course, I use it. Like it's 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 like how can you not use it? Yeah. for me, you know what I mean. And like no, even our professors know exactly. For me, it's just like we need to adjust our education system to make. ChatGPT like uh, advance us yeah. like uh, to use it as a tool it's not a tool, to exactly. yeah exactly yeah. not to like go against it it can yeah. be used as a yeah, tool no, it like just all all our youtube video um, all our youtube videos start off as scripts that run through ChatGPT and then a human looks at them and makes them a bit yeah. more friendly and gives it tone and flavor and then a human still executes but the other day i saw um, i think it's called hey gen where you can make a ai version of yourself and it's crazy because it sounds just like exactly you. Exactly like uh, you. We tried it on our on our guy that like does most of the YouTube videos, and it literally sounds just like him, looks just like him. There's still you know a few technicalities with like the eyes and, and teeth or whatever, but like imagine how crazy. efficient you could be. That's crazy. You could be like somewhere on an island doing whatever you want, <laughs> and you just like put a script in and say, oh, record the voiceover, and boom. Like I think people see it as a replacement; they don't see it as a tool, but it's such a, a massive tool because yeah. like all of a sudden. I don't have to surf the internet anymore. I don't have to search for stuff. I don't have to get like, I could just ask it to do it for me and I can use my brain power on something a lot more effective, like being creative. Like, I, I think that's still not quite there. Sure, mid journey and all of that. But I think, you know, the human element is still so, so important. You can't yeah. take that out of it because in the end of the day, it's you putting words into it. So you're, you're describing the picture before it paints it. And without your imagination, like it doesn't really go anywhere. Right. So yeah, I think, um, it definitely needs to be, I wouldn't say embedded cause I think that's going to take a very long time, but I would say it should be welcomed at least yeah. it should definitely be welcomed in, in education systems. And we will see a time for that, but it's just not yet, but yeah. soon. Not yeah. today yet. At least. Yeah. So thank you very much for this. Uh, unfortunately, the time has ended, but I had a great time talking and we do a little cheers in the end. If you with, uh, with the, with little, the logo, logo, yeah. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> okay, and then. I've been sipping, so I'm, I'm, I'm a bit ahead of you. In terms yeah, of... I did not sip at all. Like, this is the bad habit of me. I never drink my karak <laughs> during the episode. I always drink it in the end. But yeah, so thank you very much for Thanks your for time. I had such a great time. I hope you did too.